Title of our lesson this morning, Ordinary People and the God Who Made Yokes. I want you to think about this uh, as we give consideration to this lesson this morning. What comes to mind whenever you think about the life of Christ? And oftentimes we think about miracles and teachings and the disciples that he made and then him going to the cross. But do you also think about Jesus holding a hammer or a saw or working in a carpenter shop? Jesus as a carpenter is a little bit more challenging to us as we think about him and his life. But we do need to consider serving God in the ordinary because Jesus did also. Three points I want us to give consideration to. First of all, viewing Jesus and the ordinary. And then seeing the extraordinary and ourselves. And then elevating the ordinary. So I'll put that up there first. Viewing Jesus and the ordinary. Now, kind of the motivation for this lesson. I want to read a verse to you, a couple verses from 2 Kings, where we've been studying on Wednesday evening. Because what is going on in society today, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) And one of the reasons why I think it's necessary for us to give consideration to the ordinary is because they would like to squelch the ordinary and not have a voice in our society. 2 Kings, the chapter 21, about verse 8. The Lord says, And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. God is saying, I will greatly bless my people if they will listen to the law that I gave them. Now watch verse 9. But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. What did he just tell us? Manasseh, one of the most wicked kings that Israel had ever had, Judah had had. Their leader, led those people astray, seduced them, and led them astray. Now I want to ask you this question. Where was the multitude? Was it with the king, or was it with the people? It was with the people. But you know what? If the leadership can silence the multitude, then guess whose voice gets heard? Not the people, just the leadership. There's nothing new under the sun. And what's taking place today is nothing different than what took place in the Old Testament. And so we need to give consideration to the ordinary and what God would have His people to do. So, in viewing Jesus and the ordinary, the scriptures that we read this morning that Mark read for us from Luke, the second chapter, if you notice. Jesus went down and he was subject to his parents. That's just kind of ordinary, isn't it? And then in Mark, the sixth chapter, they looked at him and they said, isn't this the carpenter? That's just kind of ordinary, isn't it? (laughs) And people think, what was so extraordinary about him? So oftentimes, whenever we view Jesus and we think about him, we think about his life, we think about him performing miracles, we think about the amazing teaching that he did. We think about the disciples we made. 
We think about him going to the cross and we associate all of that with God's Son. And sometimes, and maybe you do the same thing, you kind of sit and ponder and think about what was that like to be there when Jesus was doing those things. And I think about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And when it comes to the end of that, it says they were amazed at his teaching. I think, what would it have been like to sit there on that occasion, on that day, and to listen to Jesus teach? Here's sort of an ordinary person at first, they think. But yet when he delivers this message, they hear that and it's like, that's amazing. Because that he did not speak as their scribes and their Pharisees. But we look at that and we think, that's God's son. See that? See those miracles? Hey, listen to that teaching. That's God's Son. I can identify with that. And that kind of fits the mold. That kind of fits the pattern, doesn't it, as we think about Him. But can you also go to the dusty streets of Nazareth? Stand in the doorway of a carpenter shop and look inside and see this sort of ordinary looking individual and he's got sweat dripping from his brow and he's in there and he's working and so forth and he's making buckets and he's making benches and he's making yoke for oxen and somebody comes walking by and you go, hey, come on, quick. See that guy? That's God's son. Is it? So whenever we think about Jesus and we think about the amazing things that he did, we think, wow, that's God's son. But whenever we stop and we kind of ponder Jesus with a hammer in his hand or a saw, we don't identify quite as quickly, do we? And maybe we don't even see the importance right away do but when you stop and you think about Luke the second chapter this is the way God designed it this is the way God purposed it and first before he did all those other things first he lived as a son in an ordinary home and learning an ordinary trade and doing ordinary things and he was obedient to God in doing that. And I think that's where we need to identify. But when we stop and we think about Jesus making benches and farm tools and all these kind of things, and then you think, those are the same hands that formed the planets and the stars and the universe and now he works in a carpenter shop and we think to ourselves isn't that kind of beneath him have you ever heard someone say you want me to do kind of a menial job don't you understand I have a degree that's kind of beneath me 
here's the one who made the universe and everything including you and I in it and now he's in there making a bench so you can sit on it (laughs) and that kind of beneath him no and in Mark 6 when it says that they heard him and they looked at him and it says isn't this the carpenter and then it says they took offense at him it's interesting when you stop and think about how God has worked through ordinary things to carry out his purpose to bring it about so let me give you an example do you remember the book of Exodus I won't go through all of them book of Exodus do you remember when God wanted to bring down a Pharaoh and on one occasion he had the whole place crawling with frogs I'm going to bring down the most powerful man on the planet at this time and I'll use flies and lice and frogs to humble him to try to turn him just ordinary things to try to bring about God's purpose do you remember when the commander of the Syrian army a man by the name of Naaman had leprosy and there was a little slave girl from Israel and she said oh only if my master would go and see Elijah And God used a little slave girl, just an ordinary little girl, to get a message across to this powerful man, go see Elijah. And so he does. And what does Elijah do? He doesn't even come out of the house. He just says, go dip seven times in the Jordan. And how did Naaman respond? He was offended. The Jordan? That's just an old, ordinary, dirty river. We have better rivers back home. But he went and went. And just dipped seven times. That's kind of ordinary. (laughs) And he was cleansed of his leprosy. Do you remember Jonah? He was sent to Nineveh to preach to those people that they might repent. Jonah wasn't real concerned about those people. And at first he tried to run away. Remember that? But then finally God gets him there and he preaches. And what do those people do? They repent. And Jonah is sitting outside of the city. He's kind of frustrated about it all. And there's this plant that grows up and it protects him and shades him from the sun. He's happy about that. I like this. I'm comfortable. 
And then what does God do? Sends along that worm, right? And he eats that plant. And then Jonah's upset. Ordinary worm. Taught Jonah a lesson. Jonah, what's really important in life is not things, but people. And when God got ready to make His entrance into this world, how did He come? There was kind of an ordinary couple. They went to Bethlehem. And He was kind of brought into this world in kind of an unusual fashion in that He was born in that manger. But it was an ordinary girl, as most would see her. And there's an ordinary looking baby, but there's some amazing things that said about it. But then as he grows up, isn't that the carpenter's son? Seems kind of ordinary. And so that's what it says in Mark 6. They were so busy looking for something extraordinary that they overlooked the ordinary. And I'm afraid that sometimes we can do the very same thing. We're so busy looking for something extraordinary or wanting to be extraordinary that we forget about the ordinary. You know, we live in a society that worships big things, right? So the Royals this year, they're off to a start. But you remember 2015? They're in the World Series. The World Series. Even though it's a very small part of the world that gets involved, but we have a World Series. And we are world champions. And so it was Lamar. I started to say Clark. Lamar Hunt. You know the coin he phrased? He's the guy that came up with the term Super Bowl. Our owner of the Kansas City Chiefs originally. He's the guy that came up with Super Bowl. You can't just have playoffs. To decide who's champ, you got to have a Super Bowl, and celebrities in Hollywood—they all want to be superstars, and so we always get to thinking about being big, doing big things. Do you know when I was at high school, those teenage kids would run around and make these little videos and post them on Twitter to see how many followers they could get. (laughs) How popular can I be? And can this be a big thing? And it permeates our society. And then it gets to the point where churches want to do big 
things, don't they? Except when I read in the New Testament. I just see local churches in various places. And yet today, churches dream big. And they want to make this worldwide invasion for Jesus. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to do all that we can. But what I am saying is this. That if we get so caught up in the extraordinary that we forget about the ordinary. In the first century, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. In the first century, Jesus was crucified in about 32 A.D. He wrote to the church at Colossae in about 62 A.D., about 30 years later. And this is what he said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation. How did they do that? <laughs> 30 years. And they took the gospel to all creation. They must have had a big committee get together, right? <laughs> Men must have gotten together with a grand organization. They must have set up a headquarters someplace, a worldwide church. No. Acts 8 chapter uh, verse 4 persecution was driving Christians out of Jerusalem remember what Jesus said about that you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the utmost parts of the world Acts 8 and verse 4 and when they were scattered Christians. They went everywhere teaching the Word. Wouldn't it be something if we could do that today? They went everywhere. Christians. And sometimes we get to thinking it's significant. And it is. <coughs> When there's an evangelist that goes off to a foreign country or halfway around the world to preach the gospel, and I don't want to take away from that. And we should be thankful for those who are willing to do that. But isn't it significant if we just keep up the work right here in Platte City? Right? And somebody else keeps up the work in Kansas City. And somebody keeps up the work in St. Joseph and in St. Louis and then in Kansas and then the rest of the United States. Isn't that significant? It worked in the first century. It'll work today. You know, when we stop and we think about that 
we sometimes start to feel less than significant. We think about big things and we think about big events. We think about superstars. And and then somebody looks at us and goes, and you do what? (laughs) Or for Jesus, you do what? And then we start to kind of shrink like that shrinking violet, right? <laughs> and say, well, I, you know, I teach Bible class. <laughs> Is that significant? It's tremendously significant. In fact, we need to elevate the ordinary. What about a person who has a love and a passion for Christ and they want to share that with somebody else. Is that significant? And what about if that individual influences others that they're around, they influence their family and so forth, they influence co-workers or neighbors, isn't that significant? And see, sometimes we kind of lose sight of that because our society is so caught up in doing big things. Let me remind you what God told Jeremiah's helper, a man by the name of Baruch. He said, Thou seekest great things for thyself, seek them not. I'm not saying that we should try to do less. What I'm trying to say is, is that we need to do what we can do and realize how significant it is. Ordinary people, a love for the Lord, living a godly life, knowing that they have influence. You know why I know that you have influence? Because Jesus said so. Matthew 5, verse 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's what he said about it. And that multitude of followers that seem rather insignificant to the world, oh, the impact that they can have. And that's what he wants us to realize. You know, sometimes I think, and I've seen this before, and I've done it before, and you probably have too. Right? There are certain guys that I know, gifted evangelists, gifted speakers, and hold meetings all over. And we get behind, and that's good. Encourage that. But can you get behind and encourage a parent that's wanting to raise their sons and their daughters up in a godly home. Can we get behind that and encourage that? Yeah. Can we get behind just Sunday school teachers, right? Bible class teachers, and encourage them because of the impact they have on that next generation coming up? 
Okay? And that's significant. I'll share with you this illustration. There was a woman who was a well-known conference speaker. She was an author, well-known. And when she passed away, there were hundreds that came to her funeral. But her son spoke. And he says, you know, I do not remember you for the books you wrote or for the conferences that you held. But I do remember you as the one who encouraged me when I needed encouragement. I do remember you for your warm embrace and for your love and support that you gave me. I remember that. There are some really well-known authors, but there are millions of mothers and fathers. And they can have an impact and make a huge difference. And so we don't want to let that go unnoticed. And what people do every day is significant. But society and the world, they want you to think that what you do every day and what you do in your home is just one notch above useless. And God wants you to know how significant it is. Because you know what? If they can make you feel like your contribution is not significant, then you know what will happen? They'll silence your voice. They'll silence your voice. Do you know what one of the things that leaders in our country now do not want to see? They don't want to see that parking lot full. Because they know what we talk about when we get together. And they know what is taught and they know what you will repeat. And that is contrary to the agenda that they are trying to push. We've been studying 2 Kings, right? Manasseh. And what was he trying to push? And the people, they went along. And what should they have done? God had told them, I will bless you if you follow me and keep my commandments. And Manasseh, do not listen to that. And what's being said in our society today? (coughs) Christianity? That's for the uneducated. That's for those who aren't real bright. If you're smart, you'll be an atheist. That's what they would like for you to believe. Because you know what happens if you have millions of people who buy in to following Jesus Christ 
you change an empire. You know how I know that? Because in 32 AD, there was a movement that started in the Roman Empire. Twelve men. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utmost parts of the world. Pagan religion throughout the Roman Empire. Polytheism. They had a God for everything. 303 A.D., Constantine is the emperor, and what does he declare? Christianity is the official religion of the Roman Empire. Took a while. But they got there. People who would not be silenced. It makes a difference. Elevate the ordinary. Whenever we take a look at our everyday lives and the things that we do, the occupations that we have, this is the way to look at it. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that say? Does that sound anything like 2 Kings chapter 21? And the Lord gave them commands and said, I will bless you and I will not remove you if you are faithful to me, and you will no longer wonder And so now Paul is saying, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord, not unto men. So whether you work in a factory, whether you work in a school, whether you work in a hospital, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a truck driver, serve the Lord. Jesus went down and he was subject to them. And he was serving his father. And they looked at him and they said, isn't he the carpenter? And in that carpenter shop, he was serving his father. That was what he was to do at that time. The rest would come later. And Jesus would say, I always do those things which please the father. But he helps us to elevate the ordinary to extraordinary when you look at it through God's eyes. He was teaching us that earthly affairs really matter. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4 and tell them to work with their hands that they might be able to share with those who are in need. That's godly instruction. In 1 Timothy 5, he said that a man was responsible to provide for his own household. And if he didn't, 
he had denied the faith and was worse than an infidel. In Ephesians 6, he says, Servants, that they are to serve their masters faithfully. Translation today, if you're an employee, wherever you work, you work as unto the Lord. You know, sometimes we want to make these distinctions. Like there's secular work and then there's spiritual work. And so a lot of people might look at what I'm today, doing today and go, well, that, that's spiritual work. That's preaching, that's spiritual work. And then somebody goes to work tomorrow and maybe they're driving a truck and they say, well, well that's secular work. Well, when Paul's giving instruction to the church at Colossae, when he's giving instruction to the church at Ephesus, when he's giving instruction to individuals within the home to supply or support their families. Does that sound like just secular? Or is that spiritual instruction? This is the way God would have you to live or to work as you live on this planet. So now then, in regards to someone just preaching, when we look at that and say, oh, well, that's spiritual work. Well, let me tell you what Paul said over in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. Because sometimes what looks like spiritual work can be very secular. Because Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, about verse 17, those who peddle the word. You know what that means? I can make money from religion. You ever heard of that? People making money off religion? And Paul says they're just peddling the word. You know what makes it secular and what makes it spiritual? It's the motivation behind it. Am I doing it as Paul instructed the church at Colossae as unto the Lord? The reason why I do this, the reason why I get up and go to work, the reason why I support my family is because God said that's what a Christian's supposed to do. And if a man happens to get up and preach, the motivation should be to bring glory to God. That's what makes the difference. First Corinthians 6, about verses 19 and 20, Paul said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Does that mean just when you go to church? Or does that mean 24-7, 365? Oh, that's why we need to keep that in mind. It's significant what you do every day in serving Jesus Christ and the impact that you have. I'm not saying all of Washington, 
But it seems like right now, the ones who have control of Washington, they would like to silence your voice. I'm not trying. It won't, it won't be political, but I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be spiritual. Because you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Just ordinary Christians fleshing out Christianity from day to day and refusing to be silenced. Do you think our society could use a little salt? Do you think they could use a little light. Well, guess what? That's where you and I come in. And God just wants us to speak it. And He wants us to live it out. And He wants to, us to continue to meet. And to back up for just a moment, I'm going to close with this. Satan did a number a couple of years ago. Churches shut down everywhere. And there's some folks that still haven't come back. And what I would say to that is, they need to come back. And society needs to see parking lots full and buildings full. And it's the testimony of Jesus Christ that they need to hear. That is what will benefit this society. That's what benefits individuals. That's what benefits homes and families. That is what benefits nations. That brings glory to God. Ordinary people and the God who made yokes. I'm going to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. If we can help you in any way in making your relationship right with the Lord today, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.